My dad took me fishing this past week, so I have a jump on all of you. I've already caught a big fish. We went to Knack and unfortunately, uh, the lake never froze over, and so the water was murkier than normal. We didn't catch as many fish, but the ones we caught were very exciting. So this is about a 26-inch rainbow, and uh, in the lower 48, you show off your fish with just two fingers, but in Alaska, right, it requires two hands. Uh, Aren't you jealous? Yeah. I wanted to inspire a spirit of jealousy. No, not really. (laughs) Ten-footer, yes, absolutely. It's as big as it wants to be. Wow, that was fun. Yes, now I'm completely distracted. Where? Oh, yes, yeah. Uh, so we stayed at a little B&B in King Salmon, Alaska, and the, the gal who ran the B&B used to be the health teacher in Naknek. And I was talking to her about the sermon series on marriage, and I was explaining how, you know, increasingly... Uh, our society's unmoored from biblical values, and so more and more people who are in our church didn't grow up with sort of a traditional family with mom and dad, um, or their experience uh, is very, even if they had a mom and dad, it might have been a very different marriage than, than the one that God uh, intends. And so when we preach about sort of uh, God's vision for marriage, uh, for many people, it's completely foreign to their experience. They've never seen it modeled, and it, it can seem so uh, almost pie in the sky, removed. Uh, in fact, one person last week was telling me that when they went to church, every time they heard a sermon on marriage, they just cringed. They said, I hated marriage sermons because what was talked about was just so not what was going on in my family. Uh, in my family... Uh, mom and dad were very dysfunctional. There was a lot of abuse. It was unhappy. And I, I just felt like our, what was going on in our home was never addressed. They were just, you know, talking about uh, stuff that was just not really where we were living. And so um, this gal actually, she said, you know, last time I taught health, I had 15 middle schoolers. Not a single one of them lived with mom and dad. 15 out of 15. Uh, and she said, when I got to the relational section in, in, in the health class, I, I realized the sort of traditional family was not what they were experiencing. So I just want to acknowledge that, but, you know, what do we do with that? I, I think, actually, uh, it, argues, it argues for presenting the biblical portrait of marriage uh, even more clearly. And it's not pie in the sky, Uh, It calls us, when we have a clear vision, uh, a clear understanding and a picture of marriage as God intends it, yes, it might be very different from our experience, but that picture calls us forward, doesn't it? It calls us to make changes. And those changes are possible because the Spirit of the living God indwells the, the Christian. And the Spirit of God gives us the power to become new and different and better. So the title of today's message is The Power for Marriage. Uh, the, God's, the Spirit of the Living God gives us the power to become uh, what our wife needs or what our husband needs. Here's the lineup of sermons last week, That Kind of Love. This week, The Power for Marriage. Next week, The Mission of Marriage. Then The Commitment of Marriage. Then Singleness. 
and finally, sex. So it's going, it's going to be a good lineup. All right. I told you last week that there are two primary biblical texts on marriage. In the Old Testament, it's Genesis 2. In the New Testament, it's Ephesians 5. And the Bible talks about marriage in many other places, but these are the two big uh, passages. So in Genesis 2, we are told that uh, a husband and wife are to become one flesh. Genesis 2.24. This is God's intent, God's design. Therefore... A man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Uh, every, every married couple longs for oneness. They long for unity. Uh, this, God's put this desire in our heart. And that's what Adam and Eve had pre-fall, before sin entered, entered the world and messed it all up. They, they were united. They were one. We see that in the next verse. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. A beautiful picture of unity. Uh, they were vulnerable with each other. They were transparent. Nobody was pointing out the wrinkles. Uh, they were unashamed. They weren't finding fault with each other. Uh, there was unity. Marriage was uh, great. They were loving it. But then came sin. Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and uh, sin, with, with sin came selfishness, and selfishness fractures uh, oneness. We see it in the very beginning. Uh, when God asks Adam, uh, why are you hard, hiding from me? And he said, well, you know, I'm, I'm aware of my nakedness, and I was afraid. And he said, well, who told you you're naked? God knew that they had eaten from the uh, fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What does he do? He points to Eve and says, the woman you gave me, she, she gave it to me. It's her fault. All of a sudden, he, there's not a oneness. It's I'm going to protect myself and take care of myself at her expense. And the blame game starts. Union is fractured. The next chapter, chapter 3, verse 16, God is explaining to Eve some of the consequences of sin. He says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you. There is now going to be conflict between you and Adam. You used to be one flesh, and that's now going to uh, break down. That's fractured. Uh, there's going to be conflict. Your desire shall be for your husband probably doesn't mean you're going to be panting after his chiseled body. Uh, but rather, you're going to want control in the relationship. But he's going to fight you for control. He's going to rule over you. He's going to use his physical strength uh, and try to dominate. And so unfortunately, because of sin, um, many, many marriages become fractured. And they, nobody gets married for that, right? You get married longing for unity, longing for oneness, uh, longing to be close. And yet, unfortunately, because of our selfishness, so often uh, it breaks down into... Um, Take care of number one, even at the other person's expense. Sin uh, fractures oneness. Now, Jesus calls us back to the garden, right? And the Spirit of God helps us. Helps us love. Helps us get over uh, the big I and, and begin to be we. I is the enemy of we. But God's Spirit helps us move past us. 
Uh, turn, if you would, in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Now, here Paul is not talking to uh, husbands and wives in particular. He's talking to Christians in general. And his concern is unity in the church. And so he's telling Christians how they are to relate to each other in order to promote unity. But uh, the values that he articulates here, if applied to marriage, definitely promote oneness. Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. What is the source of my words and the source of my actions? Is it rivalry? What's rivalry? Well, when you have a rivalry with someone, you're competing with them. There's a winner and a loser. And so if I am relating to Sabrina uh, out of a spirit of rivalry, well, either she'll win or I'll win. I don't want her to win. I want to win. And I know that me winning means she has to lose. But you know what? We're in a rivalry. So in our marriage, there's the famous green bag incident. Uh, we were vacationing in Hawaii a number of years ago with uh, Robin Summer Neuroth and Mike and Amy Martin. I was in charge of the green bag. And I had, we'd been hanging out near the pool, but we wanted to go to an exercise class. Uh, I left the green bag uh, beside the pool and just went a little ways off to the exercise class. Well, Sabrina, being more conscientious than I, thought the green bag needed to come with us. So she picks up the green bag and brings it. And for some reason, that created a spirit of rivalry in my heart. What? I'm in charge of the green bag. Well, you're challenging my decisions? It's still going on. <laughs> yes, it's your bag. So I, I, was, uh, I, I was moved to actually return the green bag back to where I'd placed it. And anyways, it blew up. It created a scene. All I have to say to Mike and Amy Martin is green bag, and they start laughing. So in that instance and many others... Uh, I viewed Sabrina as my rival, and I viewed there is a winner and a loser here. But whenever we are acting out of a spirit of rivalry, uh, it fractures oneness. Absolutely. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. What's conceit? Well, thinking more highly of yourself than the other. Valuing my needs, my opinion my desires over my spouse's. So uh, Damon tells this story. He says, uh, early in marriage, uh, I, had, I had learned from my dad that on Saturdays, uh, you know, what my dad did is on Saturdays he, he got snack foods and he sat in front of the television and he spent hours and hours watching uh, fun sports events. And Saturday was his day. And so, get, got married, and I just followed his example, right? Prepared some snacks, sat down on the couch, and began to enjoy my Saturday of sports. Well, pretty quickly, uh, my new wife informed me that she had other plans for us on Saturday. Uh, projects, other ways to have fun. And all of a sudden, hey, 
Saturday's my day. You know, I have a vision. Uh, and so, well, whose, whose desires are more important? Whose way of resting is going to win out? And so he tells a story to explain how he had to uh, grapple with his, uh, with his selfishness. Uh, one, for me, one of the things is uh, I tend to go to bed earlier than Sabrina, and I don't like to check in with her when I go to bed because I just hit the wall and I go to bed. And so she says, you need to check with me because I probably have four things still on my task list to do. And I'm like, no, I'm going to bed. And so I resist that because... But she says, you know, why should you get to go to sleep before I do? Is your sleep more important than mine? And I think, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> because I'm, I'm considering my own sleep is more important than hers. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit. But, so what's the alternative? Because that doesn't, you know, those things don't promote oneness, do they? They fracture it. So what's the alternative? The alternative is in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Now, it's not that I think Sabrina is more valuable than I am because we're both created in the image of God and we both have inestimable worth. Uh, but since I'm the one who gets to do the counting, I'm the one who assigns value, right? So in humility, count others more significant than yourself. Choose to value their opinion, choose to value their desires, choose to value their needs and their interests as actually more important than yours. And that's the, that's the, um, the value system out of which you make decisions, out of which you act and talk. It's not that we think less of ourselves, but we think of ourselves less. Let each of you, so now he puts it all together, let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So again, this applies to uh, all Christians, whether you're single or married. God has called us to look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. We're not to just be concerned with the big I, but concerned with we. And this certainly applies to marriage. And boy, is it, uh, a direct challenge to so much of the secular mindset about marriage, which is, we talked about this last week, um, I'm in a relationship with you because I think you're going to make my life better. But what happens when the, the pain outweighs the pleasure? When, what happens when uh, the other person is not making your life better that you can... Uh, that you recognize. What do you do? You get rid of them? Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Oneness asks, how does this affect my spouse? And cares. Oneness, it's not just how does this affect me, but how is this affecting my spouse? And cares. It matters. Whether or not Sabrina gets enough sleep should matter to me as much as whether I get enough sleep. Whether she's emotionally healthy. Whether she, fulfill, whether she is fulfilled. Right? Now, in my sober, better moments, uh, 
the, rash, the place I've reasoned myself to is I say, you know what? Uh, if it's not wrong, why wouldn't I let Sabrina have her way? That seems to me a, a way of, uh, that I can con- count her as more significant than myself. It's a way that I can uh, uh, live out this value of not just considering my own interests. It's not wrong. And so uh, for some, it, you know, it baffles them that I don't, I let her choose all the colors in the house, for example. Now, yeah, I have an opinion. It's not that I don't have an opinion, but I think, hey, well, actually, she's just better. She's more artistic than I am. So I guess that doesn't count. Now, I don't always do this for sure, but in my more sober moments. So this, so this is what we, this way of living, not, we don't just live for ourselves, we live for other people. This is just the way of the Christian life, but it certainly applies to your marriage. And if you do live this way with your spouse, if both of you live this way, man, it promotes oneness, it promotes unity. All right, let's turn over, if you would, to Ephesians chapter 5. And I want to talk now about uh, the roles of men and women. That passage everybody knows that raises all kinds of eyebrows in our society, which is, you know, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, and husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. And we get very fixated on the uh, authority questions, right? The power questions. But the verse that precedes this, Ephesians 5.21, Paul has not yet talked about He's not yet talked in specific to men and women. He, he's been talking to Christians, and he ends his sort of general comments with this. Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. The Christian pattern of relating to others is to uh, submit back and forth. Now, what are we submitting to? We're submitting to the needs of the other person. It's another way of saying, look out for not, don't just look out for your own interests. Look out for the interests of others. And then Paul says, now let me talk a little bit about how this works itself out in marriage. I love how God does not always leave it up to us to decide what is the loving act. Because otherwise we might go off into the weeds. So he tells us, you know, uh, the loving act is don't commit adultery and the loving act is don't lie and don't cheat and don't steal and you might think sometimes you might say well, you know what they you know it they're better off if I just lie to them well God says no that's not true I'll clarify for you and so he goes on to clarify what is it that uh, what is it a husband needs from his wife and then what is it that a wife needs from her husband so wives if you're married here's what your husband needs your husband needs you To submit to him. Why? Because God has given him headship in the home. He's given him leadership responsibility. uh, Due to the fact that he's the male. Not because he's more qualified. I know a lot of women who uh, appear to me to be much more qualified than their husbands to lead the home. They're better educated. They're just more naturally gifted leaders. Uh, they just seem to have a lot more common sense than their husbands. And yet, because he's the, the husband, he is the head. 
of the home. And so what does he need from you? Well, for him to fulfill his God-given role, he needs you to support him. He doesn't need you to be a great leader in the home. He needs you, he doesn't need you to challenge his leadership. He needs you to support it. And Paul makes it clear. That's by wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. So, the context is, uh, to, the context to a wife is, do you, do you want to uh, care for your husband? Do you want to help him? Do you want uh, to promote his interests? If you do, here's a very concrete way you can do that. Submit to his leadership, and in so doing, you will, you'll help him become all he can be and honor God in, in his role. All right. Uh, husbands, what does your wife need from you? Well, God has created her uh, in, in marriage to be your ezer, which is your strong help, uh, your right hand. And so for her to fulfill that calling, what does she need from you? She does not need you to be large and in charge. She does not need you to be dominant. She does not need you to be the know-it-all. She does not need for you to be harsh and demanding and pushy and inconsiderate. She needs you to be sacrificial. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. She needs you to be a servant leader. She needs you to be gentle and kind and sacrificial and involve her. Hey, husbands, make it as easy as possible on your wife to follow your leadership. Uh, She's trying to be your helper and if you make that a miserable experience, God will judge you, period. And, and, and certainly the judgment is going to be, you're not going to have much unity in your marriage, and it's not going to be very fulfilling. So, you know, if you want to make a big deal about the, hey, I'm, a, I'm the head of the house, and you need to submit to my every decision, that comes with a price. And uh, it does not create good feelings does not create uh, unity. And it's never worked for me every time I've tried that. Uh, It just never seems to pay off. But Christ-like love, uh, with, with the purpose of that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In other words, Christ's, he led in, in, a, in such a way, his motivation was that, uh, that she, um, the church would be all that she can be, and the church would be radiant and beautiful. So our, is our leadership for the purpose of getting what we want or, or to create an environment where everybody just thrives? Verse 29, or, or 20, he who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it. We've got to get past I to become we. Did I already blow past the porcupine picture? Let's go back to the porcupine picture. All right, you've probably heard this uh, illustration of the porcupines. 
they, it's a cold winter, and they know if they could just get close to each other, they could share body heat. Problem is, every time they get close to each other, they feel, feel the prickly quills. A man and a woman say, man, I want to I get close to you. I want to experience oneness. But we bring into the relationship our selfishness, our sinfulness, and as we try to get close, we feel the prickly quills, right? And the Spirit of the living God helps us get over ourselves and become softer and gentler and sweeter so that we can, over a lifetime, grow closer and closer and closer together and experience oneness in a, in a more fulfilling and true way. Let me end with this. As we die to ourselves by serving another, we feel our souls expanding. Whether you're married or not married, this is just sort of, uh, this is how we mature spiritually. We become less. We start to put ourselves second. Whether it's in our circle of uh, uh, friends, you don't have to be married to do this, but you just, you just make a choice. I'm not going to look out just for my own interests. I'm going to begin to look out for the interests of others. I'm not going to relate to people out of rivalry. I'm not going to think of myself as more important. I'm actually going to choose to count others as more significant than myself. And as we put, uh, put to death the sinful nature, nature, as the I in our lives shrinks, and we become less inward focused and more outward focused, our souls begin to expand, and we know, we can tell that we are becoming more Christ-like. We are growing in maturity. This is why people often talk about marriage as a, uh, a spiritual, uh, a, a cauldron to foster maturity, spiritual maturity, if you respond to it correctly. But, of course, every relationship uh, can provide that for us. And it's wonderful, it's absolutely wonderful when a husband and a wife both choose to um, become less selfish and they both choose to look out for each other's interests and they both move towards each other and softening and getting closer. But, but you know what? You're only in charge of you. And you can make a choice to um, consider the interests of the other person. And you can make a choice to become less selfish whether or not they reciprocate. Chances are, certainly the chances are higher, although there's no guarantee. The chances are certainly higher that they will reciprocate if they see you model it and they begin to experience that. So let's just take a, a moment to, and let's still ourselves before the Lord and, and just what is it that God has said to you today? Uh, how is he calling you to respond? So in just time of silence, just uh, verbalize that to the Lord and make a commitment to respond this week accordingly. Lord, there is freedom in putting the self to death and choosing to live for others. And Lord, we all want to experience that freedom more in, in our relationships. Help us, Spirit of God, to do that. In Christ's name we pray, amen.